Chris, what is your favorite food from the UK? I think that's a very biblical question. Austin Krim, welcome to the show. Anthony, Chris, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. You work at Prisma. Remind me again, what's your specific title? My current title is Technical Support Engineer. Right, and you so, were saying it's kind of like half support, half DevRel kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, I have I have dipped my toe in the DevRel side when, when my coworkers need help. Your first question always is, remember, Prisma is the 3D triangle logo. <laughs> the 2D one is a different company. We have had to answer that question. Unironically, we have had people open GitHub issues about our logo and, and say that it's, it's not a real prism. It's a pyramid. So I close those with uh, extreme contempt. That's you, absurd. And not the least surprising. <laughs> it really depends if they're like, I'm a graphics designer or I'm just, yeah. a, I'm just a guy who wants to be right, yeah. you know. But, you know, logos are artistic. Yeah. And also, all the basic shapes are now out there. They're out. Yeah, they're done. Yeah, there's, there's not that many. All right, this, this episode's spinning out real quick. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get on track. The track is coming, you know. Okay, so we are here together at RemixConf. So you're recording with us in person, Live in the flesh. In I'm looking at you, yes. not through a screen. You look at me very seriously, very yes. deeply. Which is great because you and I know each other through the Lunch Dev server. Yes, shout out Lunch Dev. Yeah, and you are someone who has been working now at a company that Chris and I know quite a lot about. We have both been using Prisma for over two years. Chris, probably even longer. So we will be asking the tough questions. No, not really. <laughs> uh, the tough questions. Did you know what Prisma was when it was called Graph Cool? I've heard of ancient days where we were called Graph Cool and we were some kind of hosted GraphQL service. Yeah. But we try not to talk about that anymore. Yeah. Uh, it I feel confuses like, people more. Exactly. I do feel like in a startup, you know, five years is like, you know, like if you're talking to someone who's been out of the company for five years, they're like, I've seen some stuff. And we were different back then. Yes, that's extremely true. You can tell right away who are the people that were there from the beginning because they have kind of a, a battle-scarred look to them, for sure. We thought GraphQL was everything. But then we found out about this thing called REST, and we were like, we could support that too. <laughs> so we'd love to hear about your background, how you got into coding, and then how you found yourself at Prisma specifically. Yeah, for sure. So I, I took kind of a winding road into the, the software engineer kind of role that I'm in now. But it really starts with my dad telling me I should learn COBOL. I wish my dad told me that. And and for once, I listened to him, and then I had to tell him he was right, because I went and I learned COBOL in a couple years. Um, you learned I, COBOL as your first programming language? Are you serious? That was my first programming language, is COBOL. You're definitely going to be the first guest that has ever said that. Yes, yeah. I also have only heard that government institutions in America use COBOL. Totally true. COBOL? COBOL? COBOL. COBOL. A handful. Probably not yeah, many. Like, <laughs> like I, and I hear that the companies that still use it in the good old America pay a lot of money for people who can write it. Absolutely. And that's why my dad told me to learn it because he had been doing COBOL for like 40 years and he was retiring. And he, said, uh, he had insider knowledge. He said, I'm retiring and so is everyone else. And there's still a lot of COBOL out there. So I actually listened to him. I took his advice this time. I learned COBOL in a couple of years and got an internship and got hired right out of school to do COBOL. The interview process was basically, do you know COBOL? And I said, yes. And they hired me. They, did they make you do fizz buzz in COBOL? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> What's your experience? They just took your word. They just like, believed you. Yes. <laughs> What's your experiences? I've got 40, 40 plus years of family knowledge of COBOL. Exactly. It's in my blood. So, so when you say right after school, like high school? 
Yeah, good question. I went to a community college that taught COBOL, one of very few institutions in America that still teaches it, but I went there, Indian Hills Community College in, uh, in Southern Iowa. Shout out. That is such a fascinating background. Oh it, my God. It, it is It is very non-traditional, So, but in some sense, it's very traditional. Well, you went to school and you studied computer science, kind <laughs> of. You learned a programming language. I mean, like, that's great. I guess so. Yeah. So straight out of school, I got hired at a very large financial organization. Of course, they have COBOL there. It wasn't uncommon for me to open up some code and say that date authored 1968. So I did that for, for a couple years, um, as long as I could take it. But uh, while I was doing that, I taught myself web development uh, in my spare time. So I started to learn React. React first, of course, because that's how you learn web development nowadays. It's true. That's how I did it. Yeah, it was, it was like, you was like, you're sick of going into the attic and blowing off, uh, you know. The cobwebs on the code. Going into the mainframe room and kicking the server a couple times to get my code to compile. Yeah, so I taught myself taught myself web development in my spare time. And I uh, was actually able to transfer internally to a team that, that had a Next.js application, full stack Next.js. So I went from COBOL to Next.js. Did that for a couple more years. From there, I discovered Prisma as well in my spare time and really fell in love with the product and saw that they were hiring. And uh, I've been at Prisma for about seven months now. I feel like you've been through a lot of pain <laughs> from what, Cobalt. What, uh, you know. Did what, you ever create a React front end for a Cobalt back end? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I haven't yet, but what's crazy is um, you could probably do a good job. Cloudflare Workers supports Cloudflare Cobalt. Wow. Look it up. It's yeah. true. I, they support a lot of languages. That doesn't surprise me. I have written, I have written a Cobalt Cloudflare Worker in my day. But yes, I, I have seen a lot. I did. I did eventually get sick of of uh, looking at the green text on a black background on my computer screen. So yes, I, I transitioned to more modern stuff, and now I'm at Prisma, and, and I'm having a great time. You've gone from like granddad technology to like baby technology. You've gone all the way, like the whole lifespan. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and for my companies too, my previous company uh, was about 130 years old um, and was very large. And then I came over to Prisma and I was employee number 50 something and they've been around for five years. So it's, I've seen both ends of the spectrum for sure. And which one scared you more? Uh, that's a great question. I think actually the older enterprise scared me a lot more because there was, uh, there was hundreds of years of, of knowledge that I didn't have. I mean, unknowns and, and then everything. Yeah. Now you've got five years of 10,000 GitHub issues. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, you find that older companies have really massive silos of learning that, totally. you know, that soon as someone leaves the company, that's like, well, that's a million dollars of revenue lost because that spanner broke over there and we just don't know how to touch it. Yep, that's exactly true. But now we live in the modern world with TypeScript and communities and openness to communicate and say, if it's buggy, that's fine. Just fix it. <laughs> yeah, so I'd be curious, what is it that drew you to transitioning into more DevRelly kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So while uh, while I was at my the Next.js role while I was working there, I started to get involved in tech Twitter, for better or for worse. Uh, I, I started living on tech Twitter and saw a lot of really cool people doing awesome projects and sharing about them, right, and writing articles, doing video tutorials. I, I went through West Boss's JavaScript 30. I did Kent C. Dodd's uh, Epic React. I saw a lot of really smart, knowledgeable content creators out there doing a great job educating the next generation of web developers and technologists. And I thought it was so cool to be able to not only share your knowledge with such a wide base, right, but you're having a huge impact on the next generation of people that are coming in with video creation, writing articles, things like that. And then I found out you could get paid to do that working at a company. You didn't have to go independent like like the two of them. So I think that's definitely where it sparked my interest. And do you have some content you prefer? Like, do you like written content, video content? What's kind of your niche? 
I personally, I like video content a lot, but like anything, it, it totally depends on the person. I think it's it's best to have a mix of both. There are a lot of different styles of learning out there, but I, I personally gravitate towards videos. I find it really interesting because I started coding WordPress, PHP, JavaScript, CSS when I was 15. I'm now 25, so I've grew up with it. Yeah, like, wow all the way through my teenagers to adulthood but like what you get learned today is so much more distinctive but Mm. it's also so much harsher at the same time if Mm. that makes sense like back in the day you just booted up wordpress and you know made a theme and that's the world done but now it's like you know what's your favorite javascript framework you know you use css and js or css like you know and i find that for me personally i really respect like all of what Kenzie does do, all of Westbrook does. But I find personally it's so hard to like watch them sometimes because I kind of know it, but I feel like I'm so stupid to be like, I know this, why am I watching this? To like relearn it. But I feel like I could really do it like relearning some of these things, like the core principles that have been updated since I was like a teenager, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. And, and for my personal journey like i said where i started learning react and then went backwards from there west boss's javascript 30 was like super eye-opening for me because i was like coding react in my day job and i didn't know you know javascript fundamentals right which is totally fine like i i had a job and i was doing fine at my job you know learning react and, and doing it that way but it was and one day you saw ad event listener exactly. and you're like what yeah yeah yeah, yeah totally i was yeah. like i had no idea javascript had all these different capabilities you know interacting with with cameras and audio and i mean all the stuff that it pulled in from jquery i was about to say you're just so glad you missed jquery that's what i mean <laughs> i grew up with jquery like jquery was everything the thing is i did take a break from web development and moved to app sure. development with react Native native and then i came to react so i used react native first and then came to react it's such an interesting framework because everybody you know no matter who you ask it it could come across such as a hostile framework like why you want to learn react svelte is so much nicer and so much easier and view and all these other awesome things. like svelte big yeah. svelte guy here yeah yeah, yeah. i'm like great you know but it does seem like react is still the framework of business and I would love to see that change. Like, I would love to see us have more and more options. And I think we are getting close to that by every day that passes because building things that are unique, I like this only runs in X is becoming less and less a thing because X runs it, then Y makes it, and then Z makes it, and then it's now like industry standard. Are you saying React is the new jQuery? I wouldn't say it's the new jQuery. I would say it's the new Ember.js. Yeah, you may even know what terrible comparison no 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 maybe not maybe like backbone it's closer to backbone like actually as a technology in terms of where it sits in terms of influence in the industry jquery is actually a really good comparison because it's something that has become the de facto way that a lot of people learn that a lot of people create web applications and that are probably going to have downstream effects that are yeah. going to get feeded back into JavaScript. I think it's a, it's a good comparison, no, it, actually. Yeah, it actually is. Thinking about it, not just like, you've asked me this question. Now say an answer as fast <laughs> as possible. No, jQuery is... That's what podcasting is. Yeah, I came here for the hot takes, right? <laughs> no, 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 J- jQuery. <laughs> we had a whole conversation on hot takes yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, jQuery, yeah. But I think it's that thing that I kind of like push jQuery out of my brain. Like, just never remember, never remember writing them dollar signs like, what's a dollar sign? Someone said that was currency to me one one time. <laughs> you know, it, to me, it's just a jQuery uh, operator. In the UK, did you use jQuery with like the pound symbol? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, actually, we you, we use the dollar symbol. It was like, why is there a dollar on the keyboard? 
Oh yeah, jQuery. <laughs> it's always been there. Okay, let's bring it back to to Prisma. So yes. we've had Prisma as like a background topic throughout the entire history of the show, just because like me and Chris use it so much. But we've never really had someone on to just like give the Prisma one hundred and one. So if you were asked by someone who's never even heard of Prisma, how would you describe it to them? So Prisma is, our, our goal is to make databases easy for everyone, right? So if you've heard of an ORM, it's an ORM. That's how we're positioning ourselves now. Today it's an ORM. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Six <laughs> months ago, that's another Maybe question. Not, yeah. If you haven't heard of an ORM, Prisma is uh, the layer that your application code uses to talk to a database. And we try and make that really easy for you. So in a relational database world, you'd use something like SQL or SQL to write your statements and retrieve data from your database, write data back. SQL is a really powerful language, but it's also easy to mess up and it's not always uh, the easiest to read and write. It's so. also not a standardized language. It's We, we say yes. SQL as if it's a single language, but different databases that have SQL don't actually have a specification. Yeah. There's a, technically a SQL spec, but it's incomplete. Yeah, that's totally true. That's totally true. So a tool like Prisma is something you would install into your Node.js project. You'd use it to interact with your database, right? So you could write queries in a way that's a lot easier to comprehend. Prisma also offers type safety out of the box. So using our schema language, the Prisma schema language, which you can either write from scratch or auto-generate from an existing database. Prisma knows about all your data types, right? It knows about all your data. And from there, it can generate a TypeScript library that gives you all the autocomplete and type errors for your queries uh, right there in your editor. So I just learned something there. I didn't know you could take an existing database and then generate a Prisma yeah. schema from it. Yeah. I've never done that before. Yes, yeah, Prisma DB poll. Oh, uh, okay, I have done Prisma DB poll, but I, I just never thought yeah, of that Yeah, that's exactly way. what it does, okay. right? It goes out and it reads your database schema and it generates the schema file for you. Yeah, and I think this is really interesting because me and Auntie refer all the time as Prisma 2, but it's not actually... Only you say Prisma 2, I never say Prisma okay, 2. <laughs> fine. I say Prisma 2, but that's because I knew it at Prisma 1. Yeah. And the thing is, it's really interesting because Prisma 1 is Prisma 2, but the combination between the function and the ORM has been separated, and now the functions are like, anyone can do that. You yeah, so we've mentioned GraphQL and Prisma 1 now. So yes. we have those done. They're out of the way. Yes. We don't have to talk about so, it yes. anymore. And I love Prisma 2. Prisma <laughs> 2 is my favorite thing ever. As in terms of a technology, uh, it's a technology that I don't think I could work without in almost every single project I work in now. I just get it. And one of the things that I always say uh, to everyone that I speak to at Prisma is that I don't care about a database. Like databases, I don't want to think about them. I just want the data. Everything else, manage it for me. I want to live in a world where I just hook up to a pipe and get everything I want, push everything I want, and never have to worry about anything ever again. Exactly. Yeah, that's the goal. And I think that's that's a pretty common sentiment among, among developers. And that's why Prisma is sponsoring conferences like Reactathon and RemixConf where there are a lot of front-end developers. I myself consider my talents mainly in the front-end realm, right? So uh, maybe don't tell my bosses I said that. But uh, I, I don't, I'm not like in love with the database management or anything like that. And that's why I was drawn to Prisma in the first place because it made me feel like as a front-end developer, I didn't have to shy away from the database side anymore. We love the front-end, but Prisma makes us appreciate the back end by doing less of it yes when you say oh i need to build something you say in your head oh you know the back end might take me an hour two hours but the front end that, that's going to take me two days and then i actually works out that the back end function took you 20 minutes because you know using prisma and a crud generator probably you tweaked it to what you need but the front end is going to take you two weeks and i think there's a lot of love hate with the front end i have it myself but Prisma just simplifies most things when it comes to reading data, getting data. The best thing I think about Prisma, Anthony, you know it's coming, is TypeScript. 
Absolutely. I just but love before, before how we get, it's done. Before we get into the TypeScript, yes. though, that was a, a great Prisma 101, but there's something that is always left out when I hear people explain Prisma for the first time, and this confuses people so much, which is that Prisma Client and Prisma Migrate both get bundled into this term, Prisma. Yeah. <laughs> and so... What is the difference between those two things? Yes, yeah, I was hoping to get to that. Yeah, for yes. sure. So, so Prisma Client is what I mentioned before, right? That's the ORM that's you have installed in your your server code um, that you're using to interact with your your database via queries. Prisma Migrate is primarily a command line tool that we use to help you generate migrations and apply schema migrations to your database, as well as, like I mentioned earlier, you can pull schema changes from your database. And this well. especially confused me as someone who was introduced to Prisma through Redwood. Yeah. Is that Redwood would auto generate all the Prisma client stuff for you and then bundle the Prisma CLI with the migrate functionality into Redwood. So it was completely abstracted away from me, both parts of Prisma and then combined into this larger bundle of Redwood. So it wasn't until I ripped out Prisma and worked without it and then used it with other frameworks and went through that whole journey that I actually figured out that it was actually these two separate things that were being referred to as Prisma. Yeah, you've missed the third thing. The little old Prisma Studio in the exactly. corner. That's where I was going. Prisma Studio, yeah. So yeah. then Prisma Studio is another thing. And the Prisma Data Platform is kind of like a three and a half thing. So it's yes. basically <laughs> Prisma Studio in the cloud. Is that correct? Yeah. So the, the Data Platform is kind of our, our grand vision of how we're going to gonna monetize. And right now, if you go to cloud.prisma.io, you can sign into the data platform and there'll be a few things there for you. So one is the hosted version of Prisma Studio, like you mentioned, Anthony, where you can view your data in a GUI. Basically, you're looking at your, your data in a graphical way. We also have what's called the Prisma Data Proxy that you can access through the platform, which is our kind of managed solution if you're using the ORM to handle the connection pooling problem for you, right? So a lot of people are building on serverless backends now, uh, using uh, serverless functions, things like that, where your functions can scale infinitely, essentially. The problem is if you're using a traditional relational database, they have a limit on how many concurrent connections they yeah, can have. The database is not infinitely scalable. The database does not scale <laughs> infinitely, exactly. So so there are some some bespoke solutions for this already, like in connection pooling, in the connection pooling world, like PG Bouncer and some other things. What the Prisma Data Proxy is doing for you is saying, here's a data proxy connection string, and we're going to handle that for you from now on. No matter what your database is, you just connect to us through the proxy, and you can scale your backend, connect as many times as you want, and we'll handle the connection pooling basically from here on out. And that's huge. That's like big. this was one of the largest problems for actual Redwood apps that were in production is they would eventually find out about this serverless limitation and they would have to figure out a way to implement it themselves. And then there wasn't a turnkey solution for it. And then they had to do all this crazy stuff to actually figure out and get it to work. So that's massive. And I think that's like something that people really need to know about. Yeah, we're, we're really excited about it. And it's still, as of recording, it's still in early access, but you can definitely go out and try it in your projects today. And we'd love to get your feedback on it. And that's what enables Cloudflare to work with Prisma. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, if you want to use Prisma with Cloudflare workers, you would set up the data proxy and then Prisma would communicate via HTTP to or proxy and, and allow you to use the client on the edge. This area is like foreign to me because Chris jumps ship off, off of serverless. <laughs> <laughs> I jump ship off of serverless, but I think I tried serverless still in its infancy. Sure. I need to go back to it. And the thing is, I use a tool like Redwood where it can spin up everything that I needed to spin up. I just don't do it yet. It's kind of like one of these jumps. It's like, I need to go try my application with Planet Scale. Oh, yeah, I use Prisma, and Prisma is also supported in PlanetScale. Yeah, but actually, like, booting up a PlanetScale account, running the migrations, just to test it, it's like, I'm sure I have the 
capability to actually test it and run it but when you're trying to do 20 other things that are far much more important it's kind of like this is good enough for right now and i'll wait until it's on fire to go do something else one of the best ways to migrate like fires when you're a really small bootstrap company is to rely on the tools and really say like I know what I'm really good at and I'm just going to find tools that they're really good at. And that's how I have managed to get so much developer scale in Everfund with so little manpower is by, you know, using Prisma as much as possible, using Redwood as much as possible, using things that reduces the burden on myself. And yeah, all these things are so, so cool. Like I really want to try out Cloudflare workers and Prisma on that. And I just feel like I need to just sit down and try it. And then I would probably be like, this is the best thing ever. I'm going to convert everything. But then I'm not spending time doing what I need to do every day. So I feel like that there will be a moment when it will all line up. And I think it's coming. You need with... an ever fun skunks work group. <laughs> <laughs> well, that as well. But I think the day will come where we have, you know, a serverless database with a serverless edge functions, potentially on Dino or Cloudflare workers with, you know, at front end on like Netlify. I think put all them together and you you maybe have full distribution around the world. I think that day is coming. I don't think we're there today, but there's so much I want to speak about when it comes to Prisma as a real long-term user. And I think the biggest thing is migrations. I've been to other companies who have had loads of users and I've spoke to them and they're like, yeah, we have a team of five people who work on the Postgres database. <laughs> and I'm like, what do them five people do on the Postgres database? They're like, well, someone's actually got to write these like migrations and actual test them out. And also we run like four database branches and also uh, we check everything, you know, validation, all these things. I'm like, is Prisma hiding stuff from me? And will <laughs> I get to this level or will I just keep relying on Prisma to make sure I never get there? That needing like, what do you do in the company? I'm the Postgres guy. <laughs> I know everything about Postgres. Yeah, totally. Like database administrators have been around for a long time, right? What they, they even do? They, they do excellent work. They, coming from, from someone that's worked at a really large enterprise, utmost respect to the DBAs out there, like pour one out for them. Chris has zero respect for DBAs. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not that I have zero respect. I have never worked at a big company. I left university, college, and started my own company. So this is experience that I'm almost jealous of, to be fair. You know what I mean? Like, I wish I was in a big company to understand how different my company is and how I'm doing these things. And it's a big thing about scaling my company. It's like, do I need a DBA administrator? Or is that just Prisma now? Yeah, you, you touched on something really interesting of like, especially with the advent of serverless, people that are bootstrapping new companies or even newcomers to the field deal with a lot of managed services. Like their compute can be totally managed now. Like they don't even have to worry about installing Linux on a server or whatever. And databases have kind of been lagging behind, right? There have been managed databases, but trying to pair them with a serverless backend hasn't always been the easiest. You've seen a lot of database companies start popping up recently, right? Like you mentioned Planet Scale. We have Prisma that's, we're not hosting your data. I want it, that's in my contract. I'm supposed to put that out there. Prisma is not hosting your data we're not interested in hosting your data. Yeah, I am curious for you if you want to spin up a project or if you're doing demos or any of that kind of stuff. Are there certain databases that you like to use, database providers that you think work well with Prisma or that you would recommend to people who are like, okay, I have the RM, but like what actual database do I use? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And developers nowadays are spoiled, right? We have so many good options. We are, man. It's great. Isn't (laughs) it awesome? It's awesome. And half the time you don't have to put in a credit card or anything. But yeah, for my own projects, like actually if you go through the Prisma data platform, you can provision post 
Postgres straight from our UI through the, the project creation flow, as well as a Postgres database on Heroku. We offer those two options straight from our UI. Yeah, we use OAuth to provision a Postgres instance on your Heroku okay. account, and, and the same for PlanetScale. Two really great options right there. I use um, Railway a few times. I know Anthony, yeah, you do. I know Anthony's a, a Railway fan as well. That's you, right. You can get uh, Postgres, MySQL, and Mongo on Railway, I think. Yep, and Redis. Yep. Uh, and Redis, yeah, yep. yeah. So that's another great option. You can get started for free. I think Render has a couple options I've used before. And then, of course, I feel like uh, SQLite has been making a big comeback. So if you're if you're able to use SQLite, feel free. I run my database on DigitalOcean. There you go. There you go. Like a classic, a classic provider. It works. And that's all I can say. Like, it works. I have a Postgres database. But my big questions, this touches on what we were just talking about, about choice, is the choice is too much. Because when you're not an expert, what do you pick? I hear these buzzwords of no SQL and SQL, but I've also got told Prisma is going to handle it all for me. So who should I provision and what should I provision? I do bring this up. When I was in the Prisma 1 days, I used Mongo. In the Prisma 2 days, I used Postgres. But now Mongo's support is in Prisma 2. And I'm like, I don't even know why I'd swap. And I don't even know why postgres is better and you know i'm sure you could tell me like the 20 reasons postgres is better but also is it my job to know like i'm just a user who wants to store my data somewhere and i'm expecting it to always be as fast as possible what do i pick and if the answer is well if you're running an e-commerce service you should be running a mongodb because you have a lot of weird data and it's like yeah but which one should i just use to run a to-do app you know what I mean? It's like such a hard decision. And I think this with most things. It's like, it's amazing. We've got so much innovation and we have tools that help migrate these things. But when the choice happens, it's like, what choice should I make? And with Prisma previously on Prisma 2, it was like, well, Postgres is what it is. And MySQL. And it was like, why should you pick Postgres or MySQL? And I'm still like, I don't even know. I hear there's different types. I hear Postgres does more, but... I also just use it for Prisma. Yeah, I think what you said earlier is really important where you said you have Postgres on DigitalOcean and it's working. That's that's the biggest thing right there. If you have something that's working, go for it. And if you're starting a new project, no one's going to get in trouble for picking Postgres exactly. um, for sure. And I, I think the, the reason that Prisma in particular, we prioritize supporting lots of different database providers in kind of the early days is because as we, as we start to reach more developers that are at the, the medium to larger enterprises, they're not going to have that choice to grab a, a database provider from scratch. So we want to be able to, to meet them where they are in a lot of large enterprises have MySQL and Postgres, SQLite, lots of things like that. So in your situation, use whatever works and keep and keep rolling. And if you run into issues, that's when you can dig into exactly. it. Exactly. And it's like that thing about people that are like, I'm running a database today. It needs to scale across three continents and be microseconds. And, you know, and it's like, yeah, but your customers also probably don't really notice. Like at the end of the day, like cool, you could pull the tech card out to your, your tech friend saying, you know, this database is across three continents and it's distributed. And, you know, I did this all myself. I'm not using a provider you know i know how to do all this stuff as we said earlier db managers uh what was the job role of? i totally forgot database administrators a database administrators i would take off my hat you probably have done an amazing job for the last hundred like 100 years 40 years <laughs> database i'm not quite 100 years they're old not, they're not all that old they're not all well that sorry old. sorry uh four years the relational years. database was invented in the early 1970s by cod so 50 years okay 50 years and it's like, will there be a job for them in the future? 100%. Will there be a job for them in the past? 100%. And the thing is, it's that thing of like, you don't know a problem until you're there. Like my perfect question when it comes to databases is, okay, I'm, I'm provisioning a new database. Which tier should I pick? That's another one of those questions where if you hit, start to hit issues with your 
your database, like scaling, that's a great problem to have, but right? What, what issues am I going to face when I'm scaling a database? It depends on, on your provider. Typically, the more traffic that you're going to get, that's where the tier limits are going to come in, like your reads and writes, your operations that you're hitting. And like I said, if you're hitting those upper limits, that's a great problem to have. And how am I going to know that I'm hitting them limits? Stuff is going to start failing or slowing down significantly. It, exactly. And, and I think that this area, we've almost hit perfection in the migration. We've almost hit perfection in the studio. This area, there's so much innovation, I think, still to come. And that innovation is going to help everyone across the board it's like accessibility you know we say we add accessibility to help certain areas that need it but actually it makes it easier for everybody like subtitles on movies i watch everything with subtitles but i find it much easier to understand and it's like the thing of by making this functionality to everyone like oh your db functions have got slower maybe you need a higher tier you know instead of all that guessing work and that thing of like a db administrator would be like that's the answer straight away but if you are treating it almost as an API endpoint, you'd never understand that thing. You'd be like, why has this got slow all of a sudden? You know, why is this slow for my customers? I think there's so much innovation still yet to come from this area. I think you're totally right. And that's why we've got our eyes close on, on the new players in the field, like PlanetScale, CockroachDB Cloud, Zeta, a lot of those places that are that are trying to say, we're going to totally manage your database for you. You know, click this button and connect and, and never think about it again. And I think once those things have started to, to get a little bit more time, we're going to have a really great experience up and down the stack. Us devs have gotten spoiled, haven't we? We've gotten really spoiled. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've got really spoiled, but then we're going to get to the hard point. It's like, everyone says we do the same things, but this one says they're on MySQL and this one says they're on Postgres. And this guy over here says Mongo. I'm back to the choice. I think you should get a database administrator on the podcast next. <laughs> I mean, I could, I could tell you the difference between all three of those. You just don't actually want to know the answer. You just want to continue to be ignorant about it. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss, but also not bliss. Like, but that's the thing. It works. It works. Okay, I could be chasing 5% performance by swapping it, but also Prisma does a good enough job that it just kind of works great. Something I did want to tackle and talk about is migrations. Is that an SQL specific thing? Can you know you write migrations on Mongo or is it just a specific to SQL? Yeah, that's a great question. So in your typical relational databases, your MySQLs, your PostgreSQLs, they have a defined schema, right? Where you're telling exactly what fields and what data types are going to be in each table. Like I have a name and it's going to be text and it's going to be this long. And you have to set that up in your database and it's enforced at the database level. And Prisma helps you out with this. If you ever want to change those things, that's where the migration comes in where instead of a name you want a first name and a last name when you're changing these fields that's when you have to write a database migration where you're writing sql to redefine the structure of your tables and your databases that's only relevant for relational databases mongo does not have a schema that's enforced at that level so you can basically put in whatever data you want to put in and, and people think that's that that's really great for some use cases and sometimes it gets a little messy it depends on it depends on what you want but you will have something called collections, which they're like a, a named entity within yes. your database. It just doesn't have a schema. Yep, good point. Yeah, and you know, this is great questions. And I think, yeah, there's multiple ways of holding data. But I think we, when we talk about the benefits of it all is that type safety is one of the biggest things that I think that's amazing about Prisma is that not only do I know that everything that I'm inputting is in the correct fields, it also tell me if that's not in the database. And I think that one of the weirdest things about it all is that we've came so dependent on it so fast. It's like, as soon as you use Prisma, you're like, oh, it makes sense. Like Prisma is the first thing you define. You define your database, the types, 
and then you push it forward, you know, then the API is defined on on the Prisma where clauses or, you know, what you're trying to put in and forward. And it's only recently that I've started designing a actual REST API where I've started at the other end. So I started at the open API schema going, what does this API need to look like first? Because a much more structured data is like, you know, every single call is much more less crud. It's more like this needs to do a function and do 20 things in the background. And I think it's such a weird way of looking at getting and putting data somewhere that you can work on both sides. What I thought was really good that you mentioned earlier was that a lot of enterprises already have loads of databases in the world. You're not going to get them to do a massive thousand database migration to Postgres because, you know, you've said Postgres is the best. So that's when you say, okay, we're going to treat you where you are. We're going to bring your database into Prisma, do the inspection, and then we're going to create the Prisma client. And then every migration from now on, you're just going to make it through Prisma. It kind of seems so stupid, like it can't be real, if that makes sense. <laughs> we might have to put that on our website. That's a testimonial right there. So stupid, it can't be it real. It can't be real, but it is. I'm here to tell you it is. Yeah, but I, it is because I've been using it. But like when I try to explain to everyone, it's like, okay, so they're going to generate some code into a client. You're going to put your data into the client and it's going to appear in your database. It's like, yeah, but that's not one ORM. It's like, no, it's what it is. Like, you're used to it being a lot more complicated than that. But this is like what it is in Prisma land. And we love it here. Yeah, we, we do. We do. I do love it in Prisma land. And I like what you mentioned about how you start defining your data at the database level or, or at the Prisma level. And we know about all your types mm-hmm. and your types like kind of propagating from there. Right. Like I think that's that's a really fun use case. And like when developers are first trying out Prisma, they love that so much about like the automatic generation of TypeScript types. So when you run a query, you know exactly what you're getting back you know exactly what you have to write back to the database. And you can use those generated types anywhere, right? You can import the types on the back end. You can bring them to the front end if you want to use them up there. That's one of the, the killer features for sure. And what's really good about this is that when we had Autor on, who was on the TypeScript team, he was saying, because TypeScript has been such a investment by Microsoft that it's bleeding into JavaScript. So even if you don't use TypeScript, when you're in VS Code, you still get the type safety of TypeScript. Yeah. Not necessarily... I don't write much actual JavaScript anymore. I've not wrote a JavaScript file in donkeys. But I think I think it passes through, right? Yeah, yeah. For as someone that still does write .js files, don't don't get mad at me, Chris. I still write in .js every once in a while. What but, do you mean? I just write TS and write any at everything. <laughs> but yes, the TypeScript support is still really good, even if you're using regular JavaScript and VS Code. All the autocomplete and, and red underlines and everything are still there for you. Yeah, and what I really like it's so repeatable that no matter what the object is, you know it's going to be typed in the the very specific way and that makes tools like redwood so much easier to generate all this code for you like yo we we know the props you know we know we know the database at the level then we're going to convert that and then create a graphql api automatically that's something that redwood does really well and it does all the heavy lifting like i said earlier when you know you're going to predict oh yeah you know to write this whole thing you know the back end is going to take you know a day and the front end is going to take a few days but actually because all the crud is now so easy to do because we know the types that actually it's front end still completely much longer and that's a bit of rambling let's talk about remix conf yeah let's do it yeah so we are here at Remix Conf. What is your experience with Remix and 
why is Prisma interested in Remix? Yeah, so I'm a big fan of Remix. I, I've been following it for, for a little while now. I wasn't an early access supporter, so I have to confess that. Uh, Don't worry, I wasn't evil. <laughs> I was. I got a discount for this conference. Nice. I've used it in a few small side projects, and I've really, really enjoyed it so far uh, as a longtime Next user as well. They're both great tools. I don't want to get into any hot takes right now. I love Next. I love, I wouldn't say I love Remix. I'm starting to be very interested in Remix after attending today's workshop. I think that I've been burned and scarred by Gatsby too. Like, you know, most people have been around for a little bit of time. I don't want to die on any hill. I'm happy to embrace any framework that can make my life easier. Any framework that supports Prisma, right? Prisma and TypeScript specifically. <laughs> so so specifically, why why is Prisma interested in RemixConf? And we are sponsors here at RemixConf. Remix is, I think they've been positioning themselves as more of a center stack framework, which I, I'm not totally sure what that means. You, you could ask well, the Remix Ken, folks. Ken was on the episode and it already had an episode already uh, explained that. So we will point listeners to that one. The link will be in the show notes, right? That's right, yeah. But yeah, in your Remix app, you can write, you end up writing a lot of server-side code, a lot of back-end code. And a few of the Remix folks are big fans of Prisma. And if you've been to the Remix Docs, you might have seen an introduction to Prisma in there. So, so we have a, we have a good relationship with the Remix folks. They they like to use us as their ORM layer. And it is worth mentioning they were originally giving you the ability to add Prisma kind of with instructions in the docs. And then now they have what are called Remix stacks, which are predefined stacks that are more similar to what you would get out of the box with Redwood. And you can just like fork a repo and that already gives you Prisma and like a, an opinionated deployment provider as well. Yeah, that's a great call out and a super easy way to get going if you're interested in, in Remix and Prisma. But I think Remix and Prisma are really, they're a really great combo as Remix, their framework, it kind of allows you to move fluently between your front end and your backend code you have everything co-located in one file so in your in your server code where you're doing your queries with prisma you can fetch some data that gets passed to your front end and you can render out that front end all in the same file right and, that, and that's just a really good workflow like it feels really good um it's something that that next kind of started uh, in the javascript world with their get server-side props there's also something though that we've had like rob cameron would say that's just cold fusion baby yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly and i'll defer to the old heads on that one to, to tell yeah. me where that started but but it's a great developer experience right that gets further amplified by the combination of bringing in Prisma because then you're not having to write your lengthy SQL queries right next to your React component. You just pull in Prisma and you make it happen. The more that I explore uh, Remix, the more that I can see a very certain place for it in my business. I don't think it needs to be across the board. I don't think everything needs to be across the board. I think if we use one technology for everything, we lose a lot of the benefits of the innovation between all the frameworks. Yeah, and I'm curious... For your two, your two opinions as a couple of Redwood fanatics, how have you found Remix so far? Have you have you used it? Have you enjoyed it? What are your thoughts on how it compares to Redwood? I think I've probably used it a little bit more than Chris, not in the sense that like I've built you know huge production apps, but just that like I've spun it up, I've deployed some like simple apps, I've built some stuff like with StepZen, I built some stuff just to kind of try it out and see see was like that's what I do with pretty much all these frameworks all just to go through the docs and build a little hello world example and just to kind of get a sense of you know what is it and how does it sit next to other frameworks so I'm certainly not a remix expert by any stretch of the imagination but I think it's really cool and there's there's a lot of things I like about it and there's a lot of things I think Redwood could take from it in terms of it leans more into web APIs, like I said this on the, the episode we recorded yesterday, which is that it's using fetch and things that 
are compatible with the browser and doesn't really require a compilation step. Like I imagine there's probably still transformations that, that are happening since React at the end of the day, but it is thinking more about how do we actually just create a framework that can just kind of work and we don't need this like huge kind of build tooling associated with it. Like it's it's not there entirely, but it's, it's a lot closer to anything else in the React world right now. And then it also leans more into avoiding JavaScript, not necessarily through like partial hydration. It has kind of different ways of achieving that but the same idea of how do we ship leaner more performant apps it's it's really great for that and then it has like really clean apis and now they're doing a good job of giving you more built out stacks because they were referring it to kind of like a full stack framework for a bit and then kind of changed their verbiage to like a center stack framework which i think was a good move because full stack is like such an overloaded term now there's a huge bugaboo with me on this this podcast talk about all the time yep but um I think Remix is very cool, and I think that it is definitely pointing towards a different type of framework in a way that makes Next feel a little more old school because it's innovating specifically in the same space, but doing it in a way that pushes us forward in like clear, measurable ways. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great perspective. And as I was a longtime user of Next, I worked on Next in production for a while, and now I've, I've built a few things with Remix. So I have another question for you, Redwood folks. When is Redwood going to support server-side rendering? soon as possible hopefully <laughs> well i can see both sides Anthony, you have a lot of time to spin up a lot of frameworks so you know a lot about this more than i do when my frameworks have always been more i would say battle tested than the ones i've used i most frameworks i've actually used i've actually pushed to production yeah you put them to the test yeah <laughs> i put them to the test i go that looks good enough i'm gonna try it <laughs> i really do so I have tried, obviously, lots of PHP frameworks in my time. I have didn't Gatsby, a Cray React app, Next.js. I would say my most time that I've spent with now in React frameworks has been Gatsby, Next, and Redwood JS. And I would say in the order would be Gatsby, because I've spent a lot of hours in Gatsby too. When you built everything in Gatsby, everything was in Gatsby, you know? And then I would say Redwood in second place and Next in third. And... I think that when it comes to Redwood, they do the server right. I think it's completely right. When that is in the perspective of GraphQL, a GraphQL to Prisma is perfect. In my opinion, I will handle heart say perfect. And I think when it comes to front-end side of Redwood, I think there's a lot to gain and a lot of inspiration that could be took from Remix. I'm very unique in the Redwood community because I have a Next.js app as well that speaks to my Redwood app. So I use the benefits of Next.js. I think Next.js is quite performant, personally. But also, I already see the limits of Next.js's performance on a mid-scale project. A website, say an e-commerce store, they get a thousand products. That's a thousand pages. And that still takes time to build. And you could say, yeah, but we're moving into this world of like ISSG on demand. So you never have to technically rebuild it. And then we're kind of sounding a bit like, well, isn't this just a server-side framework with a bit of static side code? To get to the point that I'm trying to make it is that I think that Next.js is really good in this area, but I'm starting to see the limits of performance and reasons why I think Remix has a really good shot at being an alternative way of performance. Not necessarily better, but I think they're still going to have its pros and cons at scale. And I think that when it comes to actually myself personally, I think I could see Remix replacing our Next.js side of the company and migration over because actually I used to think 
ISR, you know, was the right choice in terms of I want OG graph on things that can be generated by our customers. But actually, why couldn't it just be server-side rendered every single time? And if it's done fast enough, then that may be the ultimate solution. And, oh wait, we sound a bit like PHP. Does Redwood do static site generation? Yeah, so we have pre-rendering, which is kind of like the equivalent of, you can think of static site generation. And then to answer your question about supporting SSR, this is something that, like, SSR is a topic that has just always really confused me. I've always had a really hard time, like, understanding exactly, like, what it is, what makes it different from other things. And it's like, to me, it's like, Redwood has a server. Why can't you server-side render if you already have a server? But I think what, what people mean when they ask this question is, is there going to be an SSR convention in Redwood that actually, like, makes it simple for you to do and is just, like, built in as kind of, like, turnkey solution. So it's been one of the most requested features we have by far. And the only reason why it's not in 1.0 is because, you know, it's slightly less important than TypeScript. TypeScript took like over a year to get in. So there's a couple things that just people were insistently asking for that were just slightly more asked for than SSR. So it didn't quite make it. And we ended up kind of going down this whole route of having to like change our server and that kind of diverted a lot of time and resources. So we ended up putting out 1.0 without SSR, which may have been an ill-advised decision but at the same time it's almost certainly going to be one of the very first things we start working on now that we're past 1.0 and like asterisks in redwood 2.0 is already out but that's just because we have like a very very small breaking change that semver kind of requires us to do a, a 2.0 but yeah, it's imagine- something that's going to be worked on very 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 soon just going to say, I imagine Tom is pretty strict about Semver. Right, yeah. <laughs> Listeners who don't know, Tom invented Semver. Like, he wrote like a blog post that kind of laid out why Semver should be a thing. And I think it's really important to go back to my point of picking the right framework for the right choice. That I said really early on is that Redwood, I know, has SSR. It doesn't have it, you know. But the dashboard that I've built with it doesn't need it. Everything's behind a private route. You know, it's got to be user authenticated. Is that required? No. But when I did need it, I've reached for a framework that had it. And what made that easy with Redwood was the GraphQL server, you know, because it can communicate with anything. I think there's so much room for both frameworks to learn from each other. I do not think for one second they should merge into a convention because you want uniqueness. You want to say this one is categorically different from this one. So when the situation comes that you need to pick one of them for a specific reason, you can say I've picked A because it matches these where B just quite didn't do that. I think that makes a lot of sense. And one of the reasons I, I'm a big fan of Remix as well is they're revitalizing the concept of server-side rendering first and and being like, you're going to need a server at some point. Let's just start there. As well as what you mentioned, Anthony, is the, the reliance on web primitives again. Remix folks would say you, you don't even need static site generation you should just render everything on the server and then use cache headers to do the the static part of it that does make sense from a technical aspect but as someone that's used uh, static site generators a lot in the past they are much easier than spinning up a server and learning how to configure cache headers like on on my personal website why even use a framework at all why don't you just write the entire thing from scratch you know (laughs) on my personal website austincrim.com i was trying to use cache headers for my index route for the main page of my website which didn't change and i had a typo in my cache header for over a year and it wasn't working (laughs) like that's that's an issue you know that's an issue and i think their point is well taken that from a technical perspective SSR with cache headers can be equivalent to SSG. It's just not as easy as running NPM run build and going from there. The concept you have to think about is what's more scary, a machine that I run once and it gives me out what I need or a machine that is constantly running waiting 
for what I need. You know, like I was saying, really depends on the use case where you think, ah, one will be better than the other. And I think that use cases are the most important thing. Like when I think of Prisma, I jump to a dashboard or a, a SaaS app. I don't instantly think of e-commerce, you know, because e-commerce, I'm going to just use something like Shopify, right, tool for the right case. Yeah, and I think what you mentioned earlier, Chris, is important too of each framework retaining its distinctive qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a benefit for the dev ecosystem as a whole. I think it makes sense for the frameworks to be pushing each other in a technical aspect in a direction that's better for, for users and developers. But uh, in, the, in the same breath, I am excited at the concept of Redwood supporting SSR in the future. I, full disclosure, I've never used Redwood in my whole life. So Anthony's probably going to get me on a stream at some point to try it out. But uh I, You're I, gonna love it, dude. <laughs> I, I think I think so. I mean, it it's sounds great. great. It sounds great. Honestly, Redwood was the thing that made me jump from Prisma One to Prisma Two because obviously Prisma One got deprecated, but I was like, it's running right now. Like, leave me alone. Like, I know it's coming, but it's, it's like I'm gonna have to sort out. And and yeah, that was a massive migration over. Like, I won't, I will not lie. And it was a necessary migration, but the grass is green on the other side, and I'm always glad of the choices that I made, but. At the same time, I do hold up my hands and say there was like nothing stopping me from making a bad choice. I just made the right choice, luckily, in terms of choices of frameworks. I think I can say for the near future, we're not going to have any more major changes in the Prisma Prisma world, at least for the the time being. Yeah, let's hope not. (laughs) Then just one last thing I want to say, that that SSR stuff is like, as Chris said, he's already using Next and Redwood together. So there's nothing stopping you from using an SSR framework with Redwood today, right now. So that's just an important call out is that if you want to do a full Redwood stack and end, you'll not get SSR, but you can get SSR with a Redwood project if you just use an SSR framework. And I think that that's, that's a nice compromise for now until it's actually built into the framework. That makes sense. Exactly. And, and the best thing about it is you can shamelessly rip off someone else and just say, thanks for doing it next year, but we're going to do it as well. How about that? <laughs> we should start wrapping this. We've been going for over an hour or so. Yeah. Yes. What, one of the last things that I want to ask about Prisma is that, is this only the start or are we coming to the like the end? I think it's a really great question because what is the end? You know, we want to wrap this up, but like, are we at the start of JavaScript still? Oh, at the end, like we seem to have done a full circle from let's go from server, generate everything to client to back to server in five years. Are we going to go back? Or are we just going to say, this is now the standard. We tried it out. We put on new clothes and we did not like it. This is now the standard. Are we coming to like JavaScript just being stable like PHP? It's a great question. And I think I like to think of it as it's not a pendulum swinging back and forth, but it's a spiral, right? We should be, things might come around and around certain methods and methodologies, but we should be getting better and better as things go on. And I think anyone that's been around for the industry for any amount of time would say that things are significantly better now than they were. I mean, ask anyone that wrote CSS like 15 years ago, like are things better now than they were? And I think, I think they definitely are. Yeah. They didn't write CSS. They battled CSS back then. (laughs) Totally. And I think from a Prisma perspective, even though the company's been around for over five years, and as we've talked about, we've been through a couple iterations. We'd like to think we're still at the beginning of what the capabilities are and, and what the end vision is. So I mentioned earlier the Prisma data platform. That's really the long-term vision for Prisma. If you're a user of the ORM, we want to be able to provide lots and lots of value for you through the Prisma data platform. So we've already talked about the connection pooling problem, but we have as many ideas as we can come up with with problems to solve for people that are using the ORM. So if you're an ORM user, we already know about all your data. We know what 
what it looks like. We know how you're accessing it through the ORM. So from there, the possibilities are basically endless of what we can do for you. Awesome. I think that's a great quote to leave this episode on. Well, first that we need to get your socials. So if people want to find you online or yes. find Prisma, where should you direct them? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on Twitter a bunch, uh, way too much, at crim underscore codes, C-R-I-M underscore codes. Find me on there. I have a blog, austincrim.com, that I don't write enough on. And find Prisma at prisma.io. Go through the Get Starting Guide. If you have any questions, reach out to me. Yeah, thank you for being one of our first in-person guests ever. It's an honor to be here. Thanks so much. And yeah, you're going to have to learn Redwood Signal AI. <laughs> it could be a standard. We don't know. Awesome. Good. Cool.